We took an outrageously long break uh, since our last episode. Uh, you know, uh, guest graduation kind of just caught the best of us. Uh, you know, Matt and I recently graduated from James Madison University, and we kind of just got, a, I guess, a little bit of a hangover. But we are back. We're doing another episode. Matt, how are you doing? I'm good. Uh, yeah, we're officially uh, members of the real world now. We're no longer, <laughs> the training wheels are off. Uh, we're we're all set here, and yeah, we, we did take a bit of a break here. I think it's been two weeks now since we last did our uh, show, but we had finals, uh, everything wrapping up, graduation ceremonies, a lot of family in town. Blake was moving back home. I go back tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, there's been a whole lot going on, but I'm glad to be back. I think uh, it's a good time to be a sports fan, a whole lot of, a whole lot of shit going on within the NBA with uh, the Eastern Conference, Western Conference finals have been pretty exciting, definitely been a little bit more tapped in to the playoffs as they've gone on. Uh, that's been a lot of fun. Haven't watched too much hockey, but apparently a lot of people are enjoying that, so that's always good. And of course, we have baseball, and then we had the NFL draft uh, and the fallout afterwards, so a uh, whole lot to talk about. We've got some fun segments for you guys today. I think uh, we're going a little bit off the beaten path. We're going to talk about Kyrie uh, and the Celtics a little bit. Then we're going to go into uh, the top five shortstops in the MLB uh, based on my ranking. So we're going to kind of go through that. And then we're going to have a little bit of a draft here, uh, talk about what NFL teams we think will be the most improved in terms of win totals. Blake and I will go back and forth there. Uh, so, yeah, some fun stuff. Uh, and I'm ready to roll right into it. Yeah, exactly. And let's start right off at the NBA with Kyrie Irving because the Boston Celtics eliminated from the playoffs uh, by the hands of the Milwaukee Bucks. Kyrie Irving said it's going to be a a wild free agency period. We've got to talk about Kyrie Irving's future, of course, because he is set to become a free agent. I know there have been rumors of speculation that he's heading to Los Angeles, New York. Uh, First thing I want to talk about is his fit with Boston because I think one of the more interesting things that we look at is Brad Stevens' teams, and we talk about team culture, team identity, and Kyrie Irving you know, said in an interview, I think it was either at the beginning or middle of the season, that that was something he kind of had to adjust to. Um, you know, I think he had kind of learned through his Cleveland days where it was all about him before LeBron came even, when he was having to carry the load, it was me, me, me. And then, of course, you know, you, you play with the Cavaliers, with LeBron, and it's more centered around star players and and still focus really not on that whole team effort, but Brad Stevens is a coach that demands a total team effort. And he said that he had to kind of try and buy into that. So, you know, it didn't work out this season. Of course, last season they were closer, you know, made it to the the Eastern Conference Finals. Matt, I want to ask you first before we go into any speculation of where he might end up, do you think, what is the likelihood you think of Kyrie staying in Boston? I mean, I think he's gone. I, I think that appears to be the consensus, I mean, just around the NBA that, I mean, Kyrie asked, you know, to be traded from Cleveland because he was tired of being the second fiddle. He wanted his team, and he goes over to Boston, a team that really, I, I, I mean, Kyrie would fit onto any, uh, you know, aside from teams with a set point guard, he'd fit into any NBA mm-hmm. uh, system. I mean, you know, you're going to shape your offense around him because he's just that kind of player. He's transcendent, you know, definitely one of the best point guards in the NBA. 
uh, and certainly the, the the Celtics were better having acquired him. That being said, I mean, Boston wasn't a team built around star point guard play. Right. I mean, we're talking about a team that uh, was led by a center. Al Horford led the team in assists uh, the season prior to Kyrie coming into there. So they really had to, you know, change that offense around. I mean, Brad Stevens certainly a mind capable of doing so, like I said, but, you know, I... I don't think that he was necessarily a fit in Boston. Uh, and, you know, to say that there'll be a better team without him, you know, that's that's a whole other conversation. I don't think that maybe that's necessarily the case. Mm-hmm. You know, they're obviously going to have to make other moves to account for that. They're gonna, But they're going to be able to change their offense back to a scheme that I think fits the players that they have a little bit better. Terry Rozier, certainly a, a starting capable point guard, has played well in the past uh, when called upon uh, in Kyrie's absence, most notably when he was out in the postseason last year. Uh, so, you know, I, I don't think that the Celtics necessarily want Kyrie back. Um, you mm. know, I'm not going to go as far to say that they, you know, don't want him on the team. I just don't think that they need him uh, and are certainly comfortable letting him go another direction uh, and not having to pay him the kind of money that he's going to be asking for. So as far as him going to back to Boston, I just don't think that's going to be happening. Right, and you think about when he came into Boston, it was kind of an unfortunate series. You know, you bring in Kyrie... Gordon Hayward in the same offseason. You had the strong emergence, you know, of Jason Tatum and Jay, uh, and, and um, Jalen Brown as well. And then you start off that season, and then minutes into the season, you lose Gordon Hayward for the year. And honestly, when I hate saying it so much, but two-year injuries, um, I feel like I've mentioned two-year injuries on, on every episode. I feel like it's kind of one of my staples now, is that you never really got, <laughs> you never got Gordon Hayward back to the guy that he was in Utah, and so when you think about what the team had to work with, it was, you know, Kyrie Irving, a bunch of younger guys that really probably weren't in a position to, you know, take on such large roles early on. You know, if you if you take Gordon Hayward as your second best player on the team, you know, complementary roles for Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, those fit better for them in the early stages of their career. Of course, Al Horford as well. So it's kind of unfortunate that they, you know, if Kyrie does end up leaving that they um, really missed out on a big opportunity. And then you have to worry about what they're going to do with the future of that team. Because if you look at it, all of their best players are, you know, they're, you know, outside of Al Horford are all in that two through four positions. You've got Tatum, Brown, and Hayward. So it's like, you got to figure out the minutes there, figure out the rotation. Um, and then, and then, yeah, but I, I'd have to agree with you. Um, I do think that the Celtics would, would bring him back. Um, I know he didn't have a great postseason. The shooting percentages in their losses against the uh, Bucks were extremely low, and he couldn't be counted on kind of as he has been in previous years. I'm not going to base that into that's Kyrie Irving's future. You know, I, he's one of the more pure scorers in basketball, some of the best handles in the league too. So I do believe that what you know that this was just kind of a bad series for Kyrie, and, and we shouldn't expect it you know to happen that much more in his career. But you know. I think the Celtics would try and bring him back just because I, the gap, I agree, Terry Rozier is a very good point guard. Marcus Smart is a very good guard as well. Um, but, you know, Kyrie Irving, we talk about maybe a top 10, top 12 player in this league. Now, the money is a huge thing, too, because you are going to have to worry about paying some of these younger guys in the future. And you're already paying Gordon Hayward a lot of money. Um, so, yeah, I, I just don't see it working out. Uh, it was an unfortunate way that, you know, in a quick way that this um, – not super team, but, you know, star players joining in Boston together, it just didn't seem to work out. They were, you know, one game away from the finals last season, but couldn't seal the deal, and and now we have to wonder what's going to happen with Boston. So now looking forward, where do you think 
you know, he, Kyrie goes here. I mean, obviously the Knicks and the Lakers are the two teams that have been talked about the most as potential destinations as they're, uh, you know, looking to bounce back from the poor seasons that they've had. Obviously the Knicks certainly in a much more <laughs> dire situation than the Lakers are mm-hmm. given the Knicks state of the franchise versus Lakers, you know, obviously having LeBron, uh, that gives them an automatic win now opportunity. Whereas the Knicks, who could have the number one pick, drafting Zion Williamson might put them in a position to certainly make a jump. But coming from a 17-win season this year, you know, do you expect the Knicks to be a suitor uh, for Kyrie? Or do you think you know, the Lakers are the team? Or is there another, another team out there that might be a better fit? Yeah, those, those to me seem like the two biggest fits for him. And I know I'm trying to keep my Knicks bias outside of it. But the, the biggest <laughs> rumor that we've been hearing since, I want to say, even November and December was that the Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant have been talking throughout the years of trying to team up together, and they want to make New York that destination. They want to put the Knicks back on the map to be the duo that does that. Um, kind of how LeBron went back to Cleveland to make Cleveland you know, win them their first title. The Knicks have been one of the more disappointing franchises in the last you know, several decades. I'd go back almost 20 years since they were a relevant team. Um, and so you know, I think that the two of them, if they really do want to team up together like they've talked about, like the rumors have been for this entire year, and they look across the landscape of the league, there's few teams that I think could offer up the two maximum slots and also provide a big opportunity in a large market um, to where they'd be able to succeed. And so I do think the Knicks are a very credible option. You also have to consider uh, I'm shitting my pants over the next four days until the NBA draft lottery. I think every time I think of the lottery, it gives me a heart attack, but if the Knicks do end up with the number one pick, that's even more enticing for the two of them to make that jump because it's a no-brainer that it'll be Zion Williamson uh, from Duke, of course. Probably the best player to come out of the draft, people are saying, since LeBron James. Um, so you have to think of the Knicks as a very good option. The Lakers as well. I think, you know, there was people thought there was bad blood between LeBron and Kyrie early on after they departed. Um, Kyrie wanted to be on his own team and stuff like that. But he came out a few times this year and talked about how he really appreciated the kind of relationship he had with LeBron because Kyrie was like, you know, I was a young kid at the time and I didn't understand what LeBron was trying to lead. And now in Boston, I'm the lead guy and all these young kids don't get it. And, you know, that was kind of a, whether that was a snarky comment to throw his teammates under the bus or actually showing praise to LeBron, um, I could definitely see them wanting to, you know, reunite too. And, and if there's a situation where uh, the the Lakers are trying to trade for Anthony Davis and they have to give up a point guard like Lonzo Ball, um, you know, and, and then there's an open point guard position. You could see Kyrie, LeBron, and Anthony Davis, which I would say is a big upgrade from, you know, their Cleveland days with Kevin Love as their third best player. So those two teams to me are the biggest two options. And if I had to throw one other team that I would think maybe it would still be in LA, I'd go with the Clippers. I think they're going to be a really big um, I think they're going to land a star this free agency period, whether that's Kawhi Leonard, uh, Jimmy Butler. I do think that they are going to be in the market to, to really entice some stars to go around with their complimentary cast. And I think Kyrie uh, you know, would at least consider that. But I'd have to say the Lakers and Knicks seem like the two most viable options. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you. I mean, they certainly have the cap space for it. The Clippers... You know, have Lou Williams. I think they're certainly in the market for a star, as you mentioned. And Kawhi seems to be the uh, the most rumored uh, player that they're they're interested in. Uh, I'm not really sure where Kawhi stands on returning uh, to Toronto, but we're going to have to kind of see as the, the playoffs unfold and mm-hmm. you know whatever his last interview is, uh, what he says about his future. That'll be important. You know, obviously Kyrie took the route of just not really saying anything. Um, Kawhi also a quiet guy. 
uh, in terms of talking to the media. So I'm not really sure where we're, what we're going to see there. But I mean, you know, that's that's a dream fantasy with with KD and Kyrie going to New York together. And you know, it's certainly a team that that could ho- host both players now. Uh, you know, you have to think there'd be some moves in addition to those uh, of how the Knicks could jump. I mean, you know, we're talking about a 17-win team, as I mentioned, uh, you know, worst record in the NBA this year. For them to go, you know, two star players obviously do make a huge difference. And if they do get the number one pick, that's going to be big. But uh, like you said, the, the, the lottery is going to be huge for that. Uh, if the, you know, if the Knicks don't get Zion, does that make L.A. Uh, or sorry, New York? Uh, less of an option for Kyrie, you know, does he decide, okay, maybe, you know, if they're, you know, John Morant it, it got drafted by them, you know, that's a player I might have to compete with minutes for down the line. Is that somebody I'd want to sign a long-term deal with? You know, I don't really know how long of a deal Kyrie's going to be looking for, but you got to think at least three years. Um, it might seem like LA is the better option there uh, because he gets to go back to playing with LeBron. It's a player he's comfortable being with. I mean, they've seemed to re- repair their relationship, as you mentioned uh, to the point where I could definitely see them playing together again. So yeah, I, I do think that those two teams are the two best options. I just don't know. You know, there's going to be a lot of moving parts. It's not just as simple as sign Kyrie, sign Kyrie, sign KD, draft Zion, and that's your team. Mm-hmm. You know, that's there's a whole lot of other moves that the Knicks are going to have to make. I mean, um, I'm pretty sure I was looking at only a couple, three players average double digits uh, who played at least uh, 60 games last year. Uh, so that's, you know, certainly something that they're going to have to address, um, in, in terms of, of creating an offense around, uh, KD around Kyrie. And then as for the Lakers, I mean, they're it's a franchise in disarray right now. Uh, couldn't even come to terms with Ty Lue on a deal. Uh, I don't know where LeBron stands on that coaching search, but with magic gone as the president, I feel that LeBron is trying to take a more active approach in telling the Lakers what to do. I mean, that's what he did in Cleveland. That's what he did in Miami. Uh, and the Lakers seem to be a team that was almost resisting LeBron's control for a while. I, mean, I think there was a quote that came out that Magic said, this is my team, not LeBron's team, or something along those lines midway through the season, uh, You know, where it, it seemed like there was some disgruntlement there. And I don't really know where they stand now. You know, Luke Walton's obviously gone. Magic's obviously gone. This seems to be LeBron's team now. Uh, but if Ty Lue, they're not getting a deal with him done. And, I mean, it was over, uh, you know, the number of, of years. But also they were trying to mandate which coaches he would bring on uh, to his coaching staff. I think Jason Kidd was a guy that mm-hmm. the Lakers wanted, but Ty Lue did not. And so Lue left L.A. without a deal done. I believe that was yesterday. Uh, or it might have even been Wednesday. So, you know, that, that, that I don't know where the Lakers stand, and it's going to be kind of hard to tell until they have somebody at the helm uh, who we know, uh, you know, what their plan's going to be. They've had a chance to talk to the media, had a chance to convene with the rest of the, the, the brass there and figure out what their plan is. Because right now, the Lakers don't have a plan. Uh, so it's hard to pin Kyrie as, you know, a target for them because I really just don't know what they want in general. I mean, obviously, the, the plan is to contend with LeBron on the team for as you know long as he's going to be there, uh, Kyrie certainly makes sense in that regard. But until we know what exactly uh, is going on in that front office, what's going on in that head coaching room, you know, I really can't say what their course of action is going to be. Yeah, they're definitely two two franchises that definitely have a lot of issues that they do need to figure out. And it's also interesting when you look at star point guards entering free agency just how many good point guards there are in the league this day. And now I'm sure I would take a number of, of you know teams and put Kyrie on and say that they're an upgrade over the starting point guard. But there are so many talented guards in this league that it's tough to really find a fit outside of, you know, 
New York has Dennis Smith Jr., but he is, you know, a younger guy that I think could also, if Kyrie was there, they both could play off the ball well together. Los Angeles even has Lonzo Ball, like we've talked, he can also play off the ball as well too. But then outside of that, I mean, so many teams already have their franchise point guard in there. So you kind of start to figure out where he's going to go. And then you try and consider in that he would probably want to go to a major market too. And a team that is going to be able to contend, you know, I would say Denver would be a perfect option for him to take over at point guard there. But at the same time, I don't think that it's a big enough market for him. I don't think he'd be interested in working in Denver. Um, you know, you, you think of, you know, the Utah Jazz, that doesn't seem likely either. It's a smaller market. It doesn't seem like it's kind of Kyrie's fit. There just aren't a lot of teams out there that make sense. So I think at the end of the day, it probably will end up being the Knicks or the Lakers. Yeah, and an important player to watch here as well is Kemba Walker, who's going to be the consolation prize for oh, yeah. whichever team doesn't get Kyrie. Uh, he's certainly going to be one of the more coveted point guards uh, in you, the NBA offseason and Go ahead. Uh, do you think he could be a fit in Boston? Uh, I don't know if they're going to want to shell out the money. Um, mm-hmm. Like I said, that they're, they're comfortable letting uh, Kyrie walk because of what he's going to command and that he doesn't fit in that offense. They already have Terry Rozier signed to a relatively team-friendly deal, so yeah. I don't know if they want to bring in Kemba because that's just going to create more you know, of a headache. I think that the Celtics... Uh, before Kyrie came, the Celtics were a team that a lot of people were rooting for. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a lot of homegrown players, uh, guys who you know they brought up and, and, and developed themselves. Uh, they made it. You know, Isaiah Thomas was was the guy for a while, and everybody was like, "Oh," which he wasn't brought up by them. But um, you know, they were kind of like the lovable team that hadn't been you know, necessarily competing for a while, but finally you know are back into things. They made it to the the Eastern Conference Finals, uh, losing to the Cavs when they went on uh, to win. Um, the, the NBA Finals that year. Uh, so, you know, that's I don't know if Kemba's a fit there necessarily. I think uh, a lot of people are talking about actually the Mavs as a team that he could go to yeah. and pair up with Luka Doncic, which would be a fun uh, group there because the Mavs obviously now seeing Luka, uh, I think they're another team to keep uh, on the radar as, as a contender for Kyrie. Uh, just, uh, you know, they're a team who obviously has been bad past few years but found a star in Luka Doncic and, you know, now we're looking, okay, how can we build off him? You know, they had a, a relatively successful season, all things considered. I think we were expecting them to be another uh, lottery team in contention for number one pick. But the play of Doncic really elevated them to more wins than they were expecting. And, you know, I think, you know, they could be a team on the rise with a, a move or two. Uh, so we could certainly see. I don't know if Kyrie would be willing to go there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Kemba would be a better fit in that regard. Um, but or Denver, like you said, a, another team that could get him. So I, I think Kemba could also go to Denver. So overall, you know, I don't think that the Celtics are going to be in the point guard market. Right. Um, but you know, uh, we've definitely, you know, when they swung the deal for Kyrie in the first place, I mean, it was pretty surprising. Mm-hmm. You know, they had Isaiah Thomas. Obviously, he went the other way in that trade. Um, but it was, you know, not something that going into the offseason I was necessarily expecting. Yeah, and I would say just one last thing before we, you know, kind of switch over because I feel like we've talked about this uh, enough. I wouldn't be surprised if if Isaiah Thomas reunites in Boston. I know they did trade him away, <laughs> but when he was back in Boston, they the fans gave him a warm reception. They told him he missed him. He had kind words after. Danny Ainge didn't really have anything bad to say about him. I wouldn't be surprised. He's not going to demand a ton of money. I, if they do lose out on Kyrie, I could see Isaiah Thomas winding back up in Boston. That would be interesting, certainly, and he definitely wouldn't be very expensive. So, right. uh, I wouldn't. I would not be 
opposed to it. Uh, mm-hmm. It certainly would make for a fun storyline to follow. Oh, yeah. and that, that's, that's the thing. That's a, that's a feel-good storyline that they could have. You know, mm-hmm. they, they bring in Kemba. That's going to create controversy. It's going to create a whole situation with with Isaiah Thomas, you can tell him, listen, you're not going to start. You're going to be on the bench, but we're going to give you an opportunity to play uh, in front of the fans that adore you. Right. Let's see what you can do. I mean, who who can't get behind that? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great storyline. So maybe I'm going to slowly just root for that. Of course, I'm rooting for Kyrie and Katie and Zion to end up in the Knicks, but uh, that's, that's a process I got to wait a little bit longer on. So now let's switch over to some baseball talk, Matt. Uh, you were going to give us your top five shortstops in baseball, um, and I, I think one of the more interesting things is we talk about the the evolution of baseball and the, and the evolution of the shortstop position specifically. It's no longer just about your defense. Um, you know, back in the day, it was it was your best defender, but now you know we've seen in recent history that you can also swing the bat pretty well too and play shortstop. Uh, how have you kind of seen the growth of the position in, in the last few years, even? I mean, it's been a lot of fun, and, and honestly, it's the young guys who are coming up. I mean, we're seeing the most athletic players uh, that have ever played the game in baseball. I mean, you know, all due respect to the past legends that we've had, there have been some outstanding players in the course of MLB history, the longest you know, running sport in American sports history. Um, but right now, I think we're in a golden age of shortstops in, in a way that we haven't really seen uh, in years past. I mean, we have... Uh, shortstops competing for batting titles, uh, shortstops competing for, um, you know, if they, they'd be winning silver sluggers in other positions, which in most cases it's typically your number eight hitter uh, in American and National League lineups, your number nine hitter, in American League lineups, you know, give or take with the catcher. Uh, those were always, you know, two of the more light hitting positions because there was just a bigger emphasis on defense. You know, they always, uh, a big adage in baseball is that your four positions up the middle, center field, shortstop, second base, and catcher, those four up the middle of the field, are the most important to have strong defenders at, and that's always kind of been the emphasis for teams. But we're now seeing, you know, a lot of players who can do both. I mean, you know, shortstops are, tend to be the most athletic players on the team, uh, and, you know, with athleticism comes the ability to hit. Uh, you know, we're obviously seeing a launch launch ball revol- or launch angle revolution where a lot of players are hitting up higher. They're going for more home runs. Shortstops are not exempt from that by any means, but we're also seeing a lot of them, you know, take advantage of that and be more of slap hitters uh, who are getting on base at pretty high clips. So it, it's exciting. I mean, the young guys, the young shortstops are some of my m- most favorite players to watch in baseball because they have the most energy. They always seem to be the most outgoing players. Um, and, you know, with the way they're playing at the plate, I can't complain. Right. And I'm, and you're talking about the young players you've got on your top five list, which I have now, you've got one guy over the age of 26. So if this list is as accurate as it can be, we're going to enjoy some great shortstop play for, you know, the next decade or so. But let's start right in at number five. We've got a two-time silver slugger, one-time all-star, career batting average of 282 with almost 50 stolen bags in his young career, 26-year-old Xander Bogarts from the Boston Red Sox. Yeah, we really saw Bogarts explode last year. A career high 883 OPS. He had 23 home runs, uh, batted 288, 360 on base percentage. The, the most important thing for me, though, was the home runs. I mean, we have seen him hit 21 homers uh, back in 2016. That's when he won his second straight Silver Slugger. Uh, I feel like Bogarts has always found a way to be a little bit underrated. 
uh, in terms of shortstops across the league. He's been very good at staying healthy, has never really struggled with injuries, did only play 136 games last year, but still finished 13th in MVP voting, and had a 135 OPS+, plus, which by far was his best season. So we really saw him come forward. Obviously, everything kind of worked out for the Red Sox last year. But really, with the struggles that they've had, Bogarts has been one of the more consistent hitters uh, in the Red Sox lineup this year. He's really... Uh, only hitting 252, but I think that's a little bit misleading. Uh, he has a bit of a lower BABIP, so I'm expecting that to come on the uptick a little bit here. He's only played 36 games this year, so you know all of the, the players I want to talk about today, I, I don't really want to go too deep into the numbers this season, mm-hmm. uh, just because the sample is so small. Right. Um, that's why I don't have Fernando Tatis uh, in uh, my top yes. five. You know, he's <laughs> a, ro- a rookie, obviously. Uh, certainly next year I could, I could 100% justify moving him into this group. Uh, I think there's certainly room for movement. Uh, Trey Turner is another guy who's been hurt. Uh, only, he only played, uh, 15 plate appearances, four games this year. Uh, did play 162 games last year, uh, and was an all-star snub in my opinion, but you know, his 101 OPS plus really doesn't jump off the pages. He really brings the the difference making in the running game where he led the national league with 43 steals had 46 the year before 33 the year before that certainly one of the best base stealers in major league baseball but just misses the cut because of his health uh Mm -hmm. this year uh where i don't know you know he's still expected to be out another month or so um you know we're not really going to know what we're going to see out of him and then trevor story is my other guy who just missed uh story obviously plays for the rockies so that's going to sway his numbers a little bit his platoon splits or sorry his home and away splits he hits 246 on the road as opposed to 290 at home. His OPS, wow. 969 versus 752. So he's hmm. really aided by the course Field effect. And, uh, you know, he's definitely a great defender. Um, but I just can't justify putting him in over Bogarts uh, right. as well as the other two just because of those home and road splits. So Bogarts is my number five. Uh, plays a key part, a key role uh, for this Red Sox lineup and, you know, has always been a solid defender. Only 26 years old right now, which seems like he's been in the league for forever, oh, in my yeah. opinion. Um, but, you know, a young guy and a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, and Bogarts, he made his debut when he was, what, he was uh, 20 years old, almost just before his 21st yep. birthday. So, yeah, we have seen him for a while, but he still has a long career left. Uh, now moving on to number four, we've got a 29-year-old. Uh, four-time Gold Glove winner, can, uh, career batting average of two seventeen. Angleton Simmons from the Los Angeles Angels. Yeah, Simmons, guy for me who, all his career, he's always been uh, a guy who has been lauded for his defense. I mean, he's easily the best defensive shortstop in baseball. There's no question about it. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. I, I, being a Nats fan, I grew up watching him play for the Braves, mm-hmm. um, where, you know, he was honestly a constant headache, uh, having to face him on a, on a, you know, 19 game a year basis. Uh, but now since going over the angels, his defense stayed the same, but he started to really see an uptick in his offense. Uh, you know, in 2017, 2018, both years finished with an OPS above 750, which he had never done over the course of a full season. He actually never finished with an OPS above 700 uh, prior to 2017-2018. Really, the only reason he was playing every day was because his defense was just that good. Uh, you know, it justified putting him at the bottom of the lineup. If you could surround him with some better hitters, you know, he was just in that regard. I mean, in terms of the war leaderboards, despite his offense, you know, not being the greatest, he's still among the best shortstops in baseball solely because of what he brings to the table defensively. So. This year so far, you know, he hasn't had the greatest offensive year. Still has 740 OPS, um, but we're, we're seeing a drop in the on-base percentage. Only four walks in 36 games this year, so that's certainly been an area of concern. Um, but he's never been a high strikeout guy. Uh, you know, only 44 last year, 40, uh, 67 the year before that. That was a career high, you know, in a league, in a 
league where we see so many guys striking out uh, all the time and, and no one really caring about it. Anderson Simmons is kind of the exception to that rule. Um, and he's been an important player for this Angels offense where, you know, they've really been up and down offensively. Obviously losing Otani last year was big, but he was able to kind of, you know, slide in the offense, be a, a guy, a pleasant surprise for them really, mm-hmm. uh, who was making an impact uh, in all sorts of ways. So, you know, they love him over in Anaheim and I'm not surprised because, you know, he's, He's one of the best defense. He's the best defensive shortstop we have, uh, and one of the greatest we've ever seen uh, in the history of the game. And, and yeah, we talk about the four Gold Gloves. Uh, yet to be an All Star. Do you think that's more just because of you know the desire for uh, you know bigger names, and maybe you know when we think of All Stars, uh, we think of you know maybe people with you know stronger um, numbers at the plate. Yeah, I, I really think. I mean, I hate the All Star Game yeah. selection process. One, <laughs> I think the fan vote is terrible right. in its own right. Um, and you know, we're we're talking about uh, voting starts. I think I want to say it's later this month when when voting opens, which is uh, you know only going to be two months into the season, and that's when we start getting you know it's a lot of small sample sizes, and you'll have a lot of times where uh, you know All Stars by the end of the year their numbers look terrible. Uh, because they, you know, had a hot start and then just kind of fell off the rest of the season. And, you know, Simmons has been one of those guys who just hasn't gotten off to a hot start that has put him in the conversation uh, for a spot. I think he was a final vote candidate one time, uh, but didn't end up getting in. Um, But, you know, we saw Matt Wieters. uh, The year he tore, he had to get Tommy John surgery. I'm pretty sure he played only 30 games for the Orioles, got off to a hot start in those 30 games, and actually was voted as an (laughs) all-star. Uh, didn't even play a game the rest of the season, just got so much early love in the voting that nobody else was able to catch up in time for it to end. So, you know, the whole the whole all-star process, in my opinion, is, is pretty bad. Uh, and I don't really put a lot of stock in it. Obviously, right. he's never won a silver slugger and, and playing in the same league as a couple other guys on the list that we'll get to in a minute. Um, you know, that's going to be tough for him uh, to obviously break through. So I don't imagine him getting a silver slugger in his career. He's also the oldest guy on this list. Uh, right. As you mentioned, the one player over 26, it is Simmons. He's 29 this season. So, you know, it it does suck that he hasn't been an all-star. It was kind of like, you know, Nick Markakis uh, last year got his first all-star appearance after a really long career, and it was very well-deserved. He got off, but he, for the first time in his career, really got off to a torrid start and actually had a fantastic offensive season uh, by the end of the year, um, but had a a really good first two months, and that propelled him to an all-star selection. So until Simmons does something like that, I mean, you know, I'm seeing him make web gems all over the place this year. He's been... Uh, really, really good uh, defensively already. Uh, so, you know, that's clearly not making an impact um, in the minds of voters. Uh, I would certainly consider him, uh, but with the guys that he's going up against, it's just kind of tough to see him uh, becoming an all-star anytime soon. Mm-hmm. And so we go from your oldest shortstop to your youngest at number three, a one-time all-star, career batting average of 278, 90 career home runs. That's huge. 24-year-old Carlos Correa from the Houston Astros. Yeah, Correa is a guy who is probably one of those players who's going to be preventing uh, Simmons from ever getting into an all-star game. He's only 24 years old, uh, kind of fell off last year. He's, he's been inconsistent. I mean, we saw him win Rookie of the Year in 2015, uh, playing 99 games. He had a 5-12 slugging percentage, which was his, was his second best up until this year. He's, he's off to a pretty good start Uh in the home run category already has nine on the year um, has hit at least 20 in three of his four seasons. So, you know, he's been inconsistent though. Like I said, I mean, last year, a one Oh one OPS plus 
certainly took a step back. That slugging percentage down to 405. We saw him hit 15 home runs in 110 games. Uh, he's only played one full season, and that's kind of been the, the big drawback for me, uh, why he's not higher up on this list, uh, is that he only played that one full year in 2016, and it really wasn't even his best year. Uh, so we haven't really seen Correa put it all together just yet, but I mean, this guy has the tools to be one of the best players in baseball. I mean, you know, we talk about how Jose Altuve and Alex Bregman are, you know, two of the better guys on this team. Correa was really supposed to be better than both of them uh, coming up. He was going to be the guy. Uh, Bregman obviously was taken high in the draft, and Jose Altuve was a, uh, a signee, international signee, who who came up and kind of exploded uh, in ways that we weren't really expecting, especially given his size. But Correa's athleticism, uh, his power potential has always been there. Um, you know, obviously winning Rookie of the Year set a, a high bar for him, and he hasn't really been able to live up to it. But, I mean, he still finished 17th in MVP voting in 2017, despite only playing 109 games. Um, you know, obviously that was the Astros World Series winning year. You know, he, he played a big role in the playoff run, uh, had a 941 OPS. But, you know, he's off to a good start this year. And uh, I, I definitely could see people getting mad at me for putting him this high uh, on, on the list right now. But, you know, just given what we can see, the flashes that we, we, we've had so far from him uh, and the start that he's off to right now, you know, I, I have to include him uh, just because I know how dangerous a player he can be. And, and those people that might be upset with you there, what's is there one shortcoming of his game that you will understand if people came at you and complained about? You know, what is your biggest concern, I guess, with his play? Yeah, I mean, a couple things. The, the stolen bases have fallen off. He stole 14 and 13 in his first two years, but has, hasn't stole more than three uh, mm-hmm. in the last three seasons. Uh, so that's definitely been an element of, a game, of his game that we kind of seen disappear that we thought we'd see for a little bit longer. He certainly has the athleticism and the speed to steal a lot of bases, just hasn't been taking as many chances. And then the strikeouts, I mean, you know, 139 in 2016, 92, 2017, 111 last year. Uh, that's been a big problem for him. Uh, certainly has gotten them down uh, a little bit in recent years, but he's already got 38 on the year. So that's definitely not a good pace for him. Right. Uh, has been doing well offensively despite that. Um, but that's certainly been a hole in his game. Uh, he doesn't put as many balls in play as you might like to see. But then again, that's the league that we're in right now. And, uh, you know, strikeouts become the norm. And it's hard to fault a player for having a high strikeout total because, you know, most of his peers do have high strikeout totals as well. So, uh, you know, a lot of these guys like Trey Turner and Trevor Story, uh, Tatis has been striking out uh, more strikeouts than he has games played this year. Uh, you know, I can't justify, you know, putting any of them above Correa. Uh, you know, Simmons is the only, the only guy on this list who really doesn't struggle with strikeouts. So he obviously has enough holes in his offensive game where, uh, you know, defense can only go so far. And Correa is still a superb defender. So, you know, that, that's how he gets the edge, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And now we go to, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, number two on my list. And that is one of my favorite guys in baseball to watch. Uh, 26 years old, won a World Series already, a one-time All-Star, 92 career home runs. We were just talking about Correa's 90 that he has. Javi Baez from the Chicago Cubs. Yeah, Baez really exploded last year. I mean, had a career year, uh, hitting 290 with a 326 OBP, 554 slugging. That's an 881 OPS, and he's off to another torrid start this year. He finished second 
in MVP voting, had his first All-Star appearance, his Silver Slugger. I mean, he really put it all together. And, you know, I'm always hesitant to, to take guys who, you know, really make the jump to, you know, have a one-year uh, amazing performance. Because we've seen, you know, especially like on the pitching side, you know, a guy like Rick Porcello who put it all together, won a, won a Cy Young. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what has he done since? Right. You know, it, it, there's there's always going to be players like that who just kind of put it all together for a year. You know, Jimmy Rollins did it. Uh, you know, nobody was considering him one of the best players in baseball prior to uh, him winning MVP. And, and kind of afterward, I didn't say he fell off. He was still a great player, but, you know, he wasn't he wasn't a top five player uh, in baseball. I, I think there's an argument to be made that Javier Baez has made his way into the top five players in all of baseball mm-hmm. right now. Uh, and, and I don't think that's necessarily because uh, or that's necessarily all because of his hitting. I, I really think it's because of his defense. Oh, I mean, yeah. Javi is... You know, he's not. He didn't win a Gold Glove last year simply because he just had to play all over the infield. He played 104 games at second base, 65 at shortstop, and 22 at third. He didn't qualify for one specific position enough oh, uh, to warrant winning a Gold Glove, which which sucks for him because he is an outstanding defender in so many ways. Can play all over the infield. He even played first base for a game. He played right field the year before, left field the year before that. Um, you know, we've seen him really just you know whatever the Cubs need, he's going to fill that role. Uh, and that's what just makes him so valuable is, you know, with obviously the suspension of Addison Russell, you know, they had to absorb that. And Javier Baez was a big reason for that. I mean, obviously the Cubs, you know, didn't go as deep into the postseason as they wanted to, but they still had forced a game 163 against the Brewers, played in the NL wildcard game, uh, you know, had to, you know, hang their hats on a good season, especially after getting off to such a poor start like they did. And Javier Baez, especially in the second half, just came alive at the plate. Was, was needed or, or used when needed uh, all over the infield uh, and just made himself such a valuable player that, you know, both him and Christian Yelich are two players who really exploded last year that I've bought into. You know, even Alex Bregman was a player who I was kind of hesitant to say, like, okay, you know, uh, you know he's, a, he's a stud, he's a franchise player. Obviously, he was in the running for MVP as well last year. Uh, didn't end up getting it, of course. Mm-hmm. But uh, with when it, when it came to Bregman, uh, I just hadn't seen enough of him yet. Whereas Baez, I've seen him kind of progress toward this breakout season where he, you know, kind of been a long time coming. He's only 26 years old. Another guy who, you know, I can't believe he is this young despite having been in the league for so long. Um, and, you know, I, I really think that he's got a really bright future ahead of him and he's off to a great start this year. Right. And what will it take for him to move up to that top position for you? Is it just, uh, you know, a longer stretch of that what what more improvement do you need to see that kept you away from putting him at number one yeah I do think I need to see it longer I think the guy that we do have in the top spot here is just a bit more established Mm -hmm. uh which is crazy because he's a year younger (laughs) um but you know we haven't seen Baez at the top tier long enough I'm a big proponent of you know if I'm going to talk about like the best shortstop in baseball it's not who was the best this past year? You know, right. I look at the last three, three to five years, honestly, mm-hmm. um, when determining that. You know, I think you know it was a big thing um, that I used to talk about on, on my previous podcast, Kevin Haswell. Who was the best starting pitcher in baseball? Was it Clayton Kershaw or was it Max Scherzer? And this was a year or two ago uh, when Kershaw was, you know, the injuries were really just starting to impact him, and Scherzer was winning back-to-back Cy Youngs, and we were kind of in the midst of of Scherzer's rise. And I agreed at first that I couldn't say Scherzer was the best pitcher in baseball because, sure, at that time, you know, when he won his first Cy Young, Kershaw was looked at kind of like, oh, well, you know, he's Kershaw. He'll be back. And then when he wasn't back, that's when you started to think, okay, it's been two, three years now since we've seen vintage Kershaw. This might be the time to change who we call the best pitcher in baseball. And that was when I was comfortable to say Scherzer. Mm -hmm. With Baez, 
you know, we are seeing, I still want to leave the other guy nameless, but we are seeing right. <laughs> him still remain among the best shortstops in baseball, whereas Baez is just really coming into his own now uh, this past year. So maybe a year or two down the line, we start saying, okay, you know, Baez, now he's the best best shortstop. But he's got he's to sustain this. I mean, he's been absolutely outstanding. That's not to take away anything that he's put together at the plate or at the field. Like I said, he's been an outstanding talent. He just needs to do it for longer. I mean, he's only 26, so, you know, the world is, is at his feet right now. He's certainly capable of doing it. We just kind of have to see it at this point. All right, and let's finally name him a three-time All-Star, Gold Glove winner, two-time Silver Slugger, Francisco Lindor, 25 years old from the Clin- uh, Cleveland Indians. Oh man, I I love Frankie Lindor. I think, uh, you know, he reminds me a lot of Andrew McCutcheon hmm. uh, back when he was in his heyday, winning MVPs uh, or won his one MVP, but contending for him every year. Uh, he's just so exciting to watch. I mean, he brings so much energy uh, to the field, and and it's coupled by strong play. You know, last year hit two seventy seven, three fifty two OBP, it's five nineteen slugging. That's an eight seventy one OPS, which you know you, you look for nine hundreds out of your superstars. Uh, and that's not actually a number that Lindor has exceeded just yet. Right. I think that's certainly capable, um, you know, with his power uh, really coming in his own 33 home runs in 2017, 38 last year. Uh, you know, I never thought we would see Francisco Lindor hitting 40 home runs, but it certainly seems, you know, within the realm of possibility. Now, he's only played 17 games this year, mm-hmm. obviously got hurt uh, prior to the season, had to miss a, a little bit of time uh, before the season started, and he's you know, not off to a terrible start. You know, 101 OPS plus puts him right above league league average uh, in terms of that regard. But we haven't seen him explode yet. Uh, just still getting comfortable. I'm I have no worries about him doing so. Uh, like you said, back to back, last two silver sluggers in the American League, uh, a Gold Glove winner in his own right. Just he is the complete player at the shortstop position. Uh, you know, has the power, has the great fielding, can hit for average. Uh, there really isn't anything that Lindor can't do. Uh, and, and that's why, you know, and because he's been doing it for so long, I have to put him at number one, just one, because he's so fun to watch, but two, just because, you know, he is the five tool shortstop of major league baseball. Right. And it's just crazy. You know, at 22 years old, he finished inside the top 10 in MVP voting, uh, 2017, when he was 23 years old, he finished fifth in MVP voting uh, off to an unbelievable start to a young career. And I think, you know, when you talk about it, you know, those age, you know, those 26 through 2018 seasons when he was 22 and uh, 23 and 24 years old, that's kind of why you have to put him at that number one position is because, yes, he's young, but you've seen at least three or four years where he has been uh, undeniably one of the better talents in all of baseball. And compared to his peers, I mean, you know, strikeout totals aren't that high. 88, 93, 107 the past three seasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, just just getting over that 100 mark, which, you know, that's pretty common these days is to get over 100 strikeouts in a season. So I'm not going to fault him for that. Once you start getting into the 120, 130 areas, that's where it starts to become a major concern. Um, but he also stole a career-high 25 bases last year. So, you know, he added that element to his game. Uh, also drew 70 walks. I mean, you know, what can't, what can't Francisco Lindor do? I'm, I'm a huge fan, uh, and, and excited for him to see what he's going to do in his career. I think him and Jose Ramirez batting back to back is just downright unfair. Um, but the, the, the Indians only have him for, you know, one more season after, or sorry, two more seasons after this one. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see if they work out an extension. That's certainly, uh, something Cleveland should be interested in doing. Oh, yeah. uh, Cleveland doesn't like to spend money, so we'll see if they're actually going to be willing to shell out the kind of money that Lindor is going to be asking for. He'll be 28 at his time of free agency, which is a pretty prime time to hit 
hit free agency. So we'll see if, if the Indians are willing to shell out the money. I mean, I, I can't see how you can justify to your fan base not doing it. Not um, the Indians are a bit on the downswing right now. You know, they were looking at trading uh, Trevor Bauer and Corey Kluber over the offseason mm-hmm. uh, to kind of reduce their payroll a little bit, uh, which their payroll really isn't among the top teams in baseball anyway. So I'm not sure why they feel the need to do that, but that's just ownership uh, in, in the cheap kind of money-making <laughs> system that baseball finds itself in right now. Yeah. Um, which we'll have certainly have some CBA discussions down the line on this podcast. But, you know, for right now, the Indians better enjoy him while they have him because, I mean, he's a transcendent player. Right. And so there you have it. Matt's top five shortstops in baseball. Going through them just one more time. Number one, Francisco Lindor. Two, Javi Baez. Three, Carlos Correa. Four, Andrelton Simmons. And five, Xander Bogarts. So that's it for our baseball topics. You want to switch over to some football to wrap things up, Matt? I think we should. I think uh, I'm actually really excited for this segment. Uh, we talked about it the other day. Most improved NFL teams. What we're going to do here, we'll flip a coin in a second to see who picks first. And we're just going to make three picks uh, to see who will be, uh, in terms of just straight win totals, uh, who will uh, pick up the most wins next year. Um, Blake, do you want to ask Siri to do the honors? you want heads or tails? Uh, I'm going to go with tails. I'm a big tails guy. All right, let's see. Let's see what Siri does here. Oh, Siri won't work because I'm on the phone with you. But we'll do. Um, I can use the Google, Siri so. on my iPad. All right, there you go. Does she have, go go for does it. it. Have Siri? Does it? Do iPads have Siri? <laughs> I don't know if I they do. Know. I think they should. My laptop has Siri. You know what? So. I have a coin right here. You want me to just do that? Yeah, that that actually makes a lot of sense. What are you taking, tails? Yeah, I'm taking tails. All right, and you can, you're I'll gonna your you're gonna have to it. trust me. All right, so it's flipping, <laughs> it's flipping, it's flipping. I dropped it on the ground, so I'm flipping another one. And we've got, oh god, it's a Canadian coin. We've got tails. Awesome. <laughs> that was the most absurd coin toss I've ever done. I flipped, <laughs> I flipped the first coin, and it rolled under my bed. So I just grabbed the next coin I saw, and I guess my I, I have a Canadian penny. Uh, but it is tails, so I'm going to get to start things off. Uh, <laughs> my number one team, and I think they're going to have the biggest win uh, jump in the, in the scope of the NFL next season, is the San Francisco 49ers. Um, you know, there was reports after the draft that there was some, uh, I guess, some tension between uh, head coach Kyle Shanahan and general manager uh, John Lynch. But I'm putting that aside. I think they had a, a great offseason in general, bringing in Quan Alexander, drafting Nick Bosa. Um, they did end up losing uh, their linebacker to the Washington Redskins after, you know, cutting him, deservingly so, when the, the charges of domestic violence arose. But I think when you get a returning Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, a healthy offense, the pieces they've added on defense, I think this is a team that should have been the big jump last season, but unfortunately they just didn't have the quarterback play Actually, they had injuries all around, if we're being honest. They, they did, had a good draft, a good free agency. I, I think that they're going to jump into possibly wildcard consideration for the playoffs. And I think, you know, after finishing, what was it last year? I think they ended up at, uh, oh, I just had it up. After they finished, um, oh, God, I'm really, I'm really just blowing it right here, Matt, aren't I? After they finished, oh my goodness, what is happening? After they finished four and twelve, second worst record in the NFL. Yes, four and twelve. After they finished four and there twelve, you um, you know, of course, only got half of their games at home, lost every game on the road. I expect them to make 
a huge jump and be back in the wild card conversation. And maybe even if the Rams do stumble out of the gate, could be competing for that division title. So here's my thing with 49ers. I did have them on my top six. I'm not going to tell you where. Right. I don't want to give away anything right now. Um, but I did have the 49ers in my top six teams that I kind of came in here with uh, to pick. And my thing here is they, they made some great additions on the defensive side. Obviously, Nick Bosa at number two is a slam dunk. D Ford, uh, a very underrated oh, yeah. signing. Oh, yeah. I even sets, didn't even mention him. Fumbles last year. Uh, and Quan Alexander right there in the middle. Not a bad uh, consolation prize. Uh, for missing out on C.J. Mosley. So, you know, the 49ers obviously made some big uh, defensive changes up front, but my big concern with the 49ers is that secondary. They had forced the yeah. fewest turnovers in the NFL last year and really didn't make any changes to fix that. They're obviously going to be rolling with Richard Sherman at cornerback again. No interceptions in 14 games, Blake. Uh, I really don't know, you know, how you can justify being a starting cornerback in the NFL uh, if you're not picking off the ball. They signed Jason Barrett. Uh, to play across from him into a one-year deal and also re-signed another guy whose name I can't remember. Uh, but both of those two players haven't really been able to stay healthy in their careers. Verrett's only played one season of 14-plus games. Uh, you know, obviously came up with the Chargers, was with the Rams last year, and was a big disappointment for them because of his injuries. Uh, so I just don't know if I can trust that secondary. Um, obviously, you know, the return of Jimmy G bodes well for that offense, and you can do worse than a running back trio of Tevin Coleman, Jarek McKinnon, and Matt Breida. Uh, Dante Pettis, Marquise Goodwin, Jordan Matthews are a great offensive or wide receiving core, at least, you know, above average. Uh, and of course, George Kittle. So he's got the tools. Mm -hmm. Uh, the offensive line is solid. I think that offense certainly could make a jump forward. Certainly with Kyle Shanahan, uh, as offensive coordinator, you know, he's one of the most brilliant offensive minds in the NFL. I just don't know how I feel about the back end of this defense. And I think that's going to be a pretty big liability. Oh, now, yeah. They only had four wins last year, so the bar's pretty low uh, <laughs> yeah. for them to, to pick up a few wins. So I, I don't blame you for the pick. Uh, I just don't know what their ceiling – I don't think their ceiling is super high, and I think that's something that they're going to have to address midseason. Right, and I think that's where – If they do compete. Right, and that's where I think a few of my selections did come is just from the sheer, I think, from how low they finished last year to where they're capable. I'm not really sure where they're going uh, beyond that, but I, I think – you know, with that back end of the secondary, like you mentioned, it is kind of tough. We're going to have to figure out because you're facing quarterbacks like Russell Wilson, Jared Goff, and a complicated offense, and then Kyler Murray with a downfield offensive attack. So uh, certainly worry there on the back end. But I think, you know, after finishing as one of the worst teams in football, they'll be able to bounce back into kind of the rough playoff contention. Okay, so how many wins are you rough projecting them for? How many wins are we talking about as an increase? Oh, okay. So if I had to go there, so I they see they finished at four and twelve. I'm gonna say that they. I think that they could be in the range of where the Seahawks were last year. I'm gonna go ten and six. So I, I think I'm predicting a six win jump uh, for the San Francisco 49ers. All right, that's fair. That's fair. You take the 49ers off the board. Uh, I'm gonna have to come back at you uh, with a team that I'm picking, not because I think they're going to be. An outstanding team. Uh, we've talked about this this, this club before, uh, but because they had such a low win total, uh, I'm going to go with the Jets. Now, you know, hear me out oh, here. there you go. Um, the offensive <laughs> line saw some major changes this offseason. They released Spencer Long and are turning to Jonathan Harrison to be the team's third starting center in as many years. They're hoping for him to take uh, a step forward. His athleticism has been questioned in the past, but he was a strong utility lineman bouncing back and forth between guard and center. Uh, after James Carpenter departed for the Falcons in free agency, the Jets acquired uh, Kalichi Ozamel. I really can't pronounce that. I'm definitely butchering it. 
Osimile. 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 Yes, yes. From the Raiders, yeah. fifth round pick. I think that's a very underrated pick. He's a two time Pro Bowler. Oh, it's uh, a great. And a very well established run blocker. And this is for a team uh, that acquired Le'Veon Bell, obviously, four year, $52.5 million deal in New York. Ranked 29th in rushing yards per attempt last season at 4.0. So Le'Veon Bell is going to be a huge upgrade in that regard. They obviously bring in Adam Gase. Uh, Jamison Crowder was brought in. Uh, as a uh, slot receiver to kind of solidify that receiving core of Robbie Anderson, Quincy Inunua, and Crowder. Definitely above-average group. Doesn't necessarily jump off the page. Um, and Inunua and Crowder each missed five-plus games last year, so the depth uh, is going to be uh, certainly something that's going to come into question at some point. Um, but what does that all that mean? It, it means that they're prioritizing Darnold. Uh, prioritizing Darnold, obviously. They bring in Gase as a guy to work with him, and, and you know, they're focusing on his success. Um, but I don't you know, they, they seem to be bolstering toward a much heavier rush attack uh, between, you know, Gase's history, uh, plus you have Le'Veon Bell, plus you have uh, Osemele, who's a, a much uh, more coveted run blocker than he is a pass blocker. Uh, all this kind of p- points toward Darnold being leaned on less. And you know what that tells me is that they're going to take uh, an, a Sean McVay Rams approach uh, where we have Gurley handling the offense uh, with using Jared Goff to kind of, you know, when Gurley created the holes, Goff was the guy who would pick at those holes. I think that's what they're going to try and do with Bell and not have to lean on Darnold too much, which a guy in his second season, I think that's a smart approach. Uh, and I think the Jets are looking at a 9-7 and seven, uh, season this year, which is a 5-win improvement from a year before. Oh, yeah. I, I definitely had the Jets on my list, and they had one of the better off-seasons in football. Um, I, I don't disagree with it at all. I do think that they just from how low the bar is, kind of like with the 49ers, that they could see a pretty big jump. Um, I guess, you know, concerns maybe a few at cornerback. I love their safety duo. Um, you know, I, I think they drafted pro- probably the best player in the draft. I love Quinn and Williams. I think Adam Gase is an upgrade. And I think, you know, like you said, if their approach is to make things easier for Sam Darnold, I think that could be a huge thing for his success. I think he was kind of forced to do too much in his rookie year. Absolutely. Uh, But I definitely think that, I mean, I'm not going to disagree. They were on my list as well. Uh, But I am going to come back with my second pick, and I'm going to take the Green Bay Packers. Uh, I loved the Packers offseason, of course, getting an offensive-minded head coach in pairing with Aaron Rodgers. And then in their draft, they used two first-round picks on Rashawn Gary, probably one of my favorite edge rushers in the draft as well with the 12th pick. And then they traded up to pick number 21 to take Darnell Savage safety out of Maryland. Now they had all of their, uh, I mean, a huge portion of their additions in this offseason were on the defensive end. And I think they have considerably turned Green Bay into a team that I would say is around a top-five defense just in terms of talent. Now, of course, they have to put it all together and play on the field for the first time together. But I think when you look at the the moves that they had made across the back end of that defense and in the front seven as well, I think that they are one of the better defenses in football. And all that does is it provides Aaron Rodgers an opportunity to not have to do everything, to not have to be uh, Superman. It's kind of like what we said with, I, I think Darnold was doing too much with the Jets last year. Aaron Rodgers, you know, would have to put up 31 points because the defense allowed 28 <laughs> to try and even, you know, get close to a win. And now you you put him with an offensive-minded head coach with the you know, with the signs pointing that you know the offense is just going to be more modern. It was kind of too basic uh, with uh, Mike McCarthy. And if you have a quarterback that's un- incredibly gifted like Aaron Rodgers, you need to provide him with an offense that kind of matches his talents. I think that this will be the right step forward. I know they finished; they didn't finish terrible last season, 
They ended up what? I believe seven and nine. Uh, they finished the year six and nine, six nine and one. Yep. I'm. I think that they're a team that's going to win the NFC North. I think they're going to be one of the better teams in football. I think this is kind of a twelve and four, eleven and five type team. Yeah, I had the Packers on my list as well, and uh, you talk about that defense. They really made pass rush and secondary just the two biggest priorities of the offseason. I mean, you know, the the big oh, storyline yeah. it seemed like all all season last year was that they were running with rookie ru- wide receivers, right? And that you know that was going to be something that they needed to address coming in the offseason. They really didn't. Uh, and I think they just, you know, it's addition, uh, you know, through other areas where that's not going to be as big of a concern. Like you mentioned, Aaron Rodgers isn't going to have to do it all. I love this Darius Smith signing uh, from the Ravens. They bring yep. in Rashawn Gary already after signing Preston Smith. So that whole rotation there in the pass rush is going to be a lot of fun. And then Adrian Abos uh, and Darnell Savage back there in the secondary now that really anchors a group that had kind of been questionable last year. Obviously, they traded Haka Clinton Dix, so they had a hole there uh, in the secondary. I think you know this is going to be a very different looking defense. I mean, obviously Dix is gone. Uh, we don't have Clay Matthews anymore. You know, this is uh, a very different team than we're used to seeing from the Packers. Uh, a lot of new names on that defensive side, and I think you're right. I think that they really are going to be. Uh, one of the best defenses in the NFL next year. And then, you know, Matt LaFleur comes in to work with Aaron Rodgers, uh, give him a new fresh face. Uh, There's some questions about whether or not he can gel uh, with Rodgers, who, you know, obviously has been known as a bit headstrong. Uh, But LaFleur, who who worked under Sean McVay for the Rams and and also worked under Kyle Shanahan in Atlanta, uh, certainly has the mind uh, to do, you know, to to do something with Rodgers here. Now, the Titans offense really wasn't all that last year. You could argue that they didn't have the tools uh, necessarily. Um, that Green Bay mm-hmm. might have here, you know, usually Aaron Rodgers in and of itself is, is worth more than the entire Titans offense. Um, but, you know, I, I think LaFleur is one of the more innovative minds, and I'm interested to see if Rodgers is willing to step outside of his comfort zone and maybe try some things that he hasn't done in the past to add a new dimension to the offense. Uh, you know, we, we, we know him as the sheriff, as the guy who kind of takes control of the offense. The offense is shaped around him and his skill set. I'm wondering if you know they're going to take more of a different approach where you know, obviously they're they're going to let Aaron Rodgers do his thing, but also try out some new new schemes and, and see if they can make Rodgers fit to a different system than he's used to playing. Yeah, and that's the thing is just you know getting that pairing. If it works off, it's going to be perfect. And I know you mentioned the Tennessee, uh, you know, offense wasn't too great last year, and you make a great point with the talent not being as good there too. I also think just the philosophy mix wasn't right. I think when you got a guy like Mike Rabel who was a former defensive player, real physical guy. He wants his teams to be physical up front, to win in the trenches, strong run game. And, of course, they had that with Derrick Henry, but it didn't provide them a lot of opportunities to be that creative on offense when you're just trying to be physical. And I feel like that was kind of the mantra sent down throughout the organization. So now with LaFleur, he'll have a chance to be more creative on his own now that he's running the show. And so I think I think we could see just a, an amazing season for Green Bay trying to capitalize uh, the remaining years that we have of Aaron Rodgers and his greatness. Absolutely. I'm going to go ahead and go to my second pick now. You've taken two of my teams off the board, but that's okay because the team I want to uh, see the most win increase, but also the team I think will, are the Cleveland Browns. Finished 7-8-1 and one last year. I yes. mean, just let's just go through the names on this offense one more time just because, you know, Oh my God, Baker Mayfield, Odo Beckham Jr., Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, Jarvis Landry, David Njoku, Duke Johnson, and then a healthy wide receiver competition for the number three spot between Antonio Callaway and Rashard Higgins. I mean, that is a lot of fun. I mean, the the, the Browns are going all in, cap space be damned, uh, on this season. You know, obviously the Odell Beckham trade 
shook the NFL. They already had Kareem Hunt at that point, uh, who should be back after a, a short suspension. Uh, he'll be definitely back for the playoffs. I mean, Jarvis Landry, one of the better slot receivers, Dave Njoku, uh, didn't necessarily reach his ceiling last year, but certainly uh, you know showed some flashes of, of gelling with Mayfield. So he'll add that uh, dimension to the passing game. And then Duke Johnson requested a trade. Uh, we'll see if they actually do trade him. Uh, he's certainly going to have an important role early on this season. He you know will press Nick Chubb for carries a little bit. Um, but we're going to kind of have to see. And then I love Antonio Callaway. Uh, you know, I think he was a very under-the-radar pick last year uh, by the Browns, another guy who you know struggled with marijuana use in the past and is going to have to uh, you know s- prove he can stay on the How field. How dare he smoke weed? I know. How dare he oh smoke weed? Oh, my God. It's you know, such a grueling he... <laughs> sport. You know, you want to have painkillers. You've got to go the right way, all right? You can't. You can't Pops relax. Pops Vicodin, damn it. <laughs> I mean, I know a lot of people secretly think that, you know, it's a good thing for players because they're not out partying and getting themselves stupid. They're just, you know, eating Cheetos on the couch. But, you know, that's besides the point. Uh, I'm I'm excited for Callaway. <laughs> yeah. I think I think him and Higgins competing is, is going to be a lot of fun. They finished within 10 receiving yards of each other last year. Uh, so they're certainly neck and neck uh, for uh, some catches. Now, defense got some attention too. I mean, obviously they have players like Denzel Ward and Miles Garrett who, you know, just are anchoring a, a very young and up and coming defense. Uh, but they drafted Greedy Williams, a pick that I really liked. Uh, definitely didn't think he was going to go, uh, as early as he went, uh, in the draft, but, you know, they got him as insurance, uh, for Terrence Mitchell, who, you know, hasn't really been, uh, the guy, uh, who they thought he would be. Didn't have a terrible season last year, but they're hoping, you know, if he doesn't work out, then Williams can kind of work in there. They also added Sheldon Richardson and Olivier Vernon. Um, it's really, you know, what it comes down to for the Browns. They've got high expectations, something that we haven't really seen uh, for Cleveland in a long time. So it's going to be interesting to see how the Browns handle that pressure. But at 7-8-1 eight, eight, last year, uh, I'm going to go with a 13-win season uh, a six oh, win wow. uptick. I'm I'm really excited uh, for the Browns Huge. this next year. Yeah, well, you know they are my pick for the Super Bowl. I have to stick with that. So right, um, I think they're going to win uh, the AFC North. I don't even think it's going to be close with the the state of that division right now. Um, you know, I think the Ravens are certainly capable of, of being in there. But I mean, just looking at the the, the tools up and down and uh, how the retooling that the the Ravens had to do on the defensive side. Um, you know, I don't think that they're going to be the same team necessarily. They're going to have to learn to gel with some new faces there. Uh, and that's going to take some, some time. I think that the Browns, I mean, obviously Odell is a new guy that's going to have to fit into that offense, but you know, there's a lot of guys that have come up together. These are young players who, uh, were all drafted within a couple of years of each other and, you know, have built up that locker room culture and, you know, it's an exciting time for Cleveland and I'm really excited for what the Browns are going to do this year. Right, yeah, no, I definitely agree that they're going to see an upgrade. Um, I, I would put them in a round, you know, that 11-10 win season. Um, and, and another team that was on my list, too. But I actually, the way I had this out, I ended up getting my top three teams. Uh, because number three, I'm going to the AFC South, and I'm choosing the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um and and there's a lot of reasons. I also thought that they had one of the better off seasons uh, in in football. I know they did uh, just lose, you know, one of their linebackers, Telvin Smith. Um, kind of just a weird situation where he hadn't been in contact with the team all off season. Then posted on Instagram he was taking the year off. But they've got enough studs on that defense. Um, I like the coaching staff. Doug Marone, a, a former Syracuse guy, if I may add, former Syracuse head coach Doug Marone, uh, down there in Jacksonville. Tom Coughlin. They did a lot this offseason that I really like. And their draft, their first two picks, phenomenal. 
they were able to get probably what some consider as the second or third best pass rusher in the draft class, Josh Allen, at pick number seven. He's a guy that you know people think is just a sack specialist, but that's fine on that defense because you've got so many other talented defensive linemen that can just put pressure on the line and open up a lot of alleys for Josh Allen. You've got Calais Campbell, uh, Yannick Ngakwe, uh, Taven Bryan, last year's first-round pick. Um, you look at that defense, they, to me, still have the best defense in football. You know, Miles Jack, Jalen Ramsey, A.J. Bouye, their defense is absolutely loaded. I think the problem last year is that their defense just had to do too much because their offense couldn't do anything. And then what did the Jaguars do? They finally replaced Blake Bortles. And if you know <laughs> any of my work over the years, I absolutely uh, – I, I don't hate him because I don't want to hate him. I don't want to root <laughs> against anyone. But I think that he had been probably the worst starting quarterback in football for the last few years. And now, you know, it's not a huge upgrade in, in some people's eyes, but I think the upgrade from him – Getting up to Nick Foles, uh, you know, I just upgrading from from him to Nick Foles, I think, is a big upgrade. Um, of course, I'm still worried about the receiving threats. There's not a ton of guys out there that are really uh, that intriguing to me on the outside. But I think Leonard Fournette's still a, a very good running back. I think the offensive line is strong in the second in the second round of the draft. They're able to get the guy that everyone thought they were gonna they were gonna take at pick seven and Taven, uh, not Taven Bryan. Why did I just Jawan Taylor uh, out of uh, Florida, but anyways, I, I think the Jags, they finished last year uh, a disappointing 5-11 uh, and 11 season after making the AFC Championship game two years ago. I think they'll at least fight for that wild card spot in the AFC. I still think that, you know, the Colts are probably, in my eyes, the best team in that division, but I could see the Jaguars getting to around a 9-7 and seven season, which is a 4-win upgrade for me. All right, everybody, I just want to, I want to do a little humble brag here for a second. Blake is our NFL guy on the show, and he certainly has the, the, the better NFL knowledge. I will never dispute that. Uh, obviously writes for uh, an SB Nation NFL blog, has their credentials for it. I am the MLB guy. Um, so this this little endeavor here where we came and, and put these teams together, I put down six teams, and all six of my teams are going to be drafted uh, in this draft here. So i, I got to say I'm pretty proud of myself uh, no for getting it all right. The Jaguars also on my board um, were my last team, I will say. They were, they were my number six team uh, that I would have taken for a couple of reasons. Um, you know, we, we talked about how the similarities with the um, Bears on the last podcast, uh, I guess – was that the last podcast? I don't even know at this point. Um, but they had... Yeah, you know, it was a while ago. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they definitely uh, are taking an active approach uh, to trying to bounce back after uh, you know really falling off the grid, after making the AFC Championship game the year before. Uh, and they go in and get Nick Foles. And obviously that's a huge upgrade over Blake Bortles. Nobody is going to dispute that. But what else did they really do on the offensive side? I really... Well, you know, Jeff Swaim, is that is that the biggest other name that they signed uh, when their offense really was the problem last year? I mean, yeah, the defense should bounce back next year. I mean, you know, losing Telvin Smith hurts, but, you know, Josh Allen sliding in that linebacker core, you're not expecting too big of a drop-off exactly. Um, but I, I just don't know what to expect out of this offense. And if, you know, Nick Foles is going to going to win them a couple more games than they did last year. I think certainly, you know, we, we're looking at an 8-8, eight 9-7 and, eight, nine and, nine and season maybe. Um, you know, they, they did win five games, despite the catastrophe that was the Jaguars last year, they did still win five games, which is pretty incredible. Uh, all things considered, they seem like such a dumpster fire all year, but uh, you know, Le Leonard Fournette has never impressed me. Uh, I don't think that he elevates the offense in any way. Uh, you know, the re wide receiver core is empty. 
Um, you know, they really don't have anybody that jumps off the page to me. Uh, so Nick Foles is kind of being thrust into a poor situation where he doesn't have a lot of pieces around him. And I'm not, I'm not really sure how far they can go, uh, with this offensive group that they have put together right now. Yeah, I, I agree. The offense is struggling. They did lose Nathaniel Hackett. They bring in John Filippo as their offensive coordinator. So they obviously need to get back to the board and figure out ways to draw up plays and stuff. But Foles and Filippo had been together previously. I think it was just for one year in Philadelphia before yep. he took the offensive coordinator job at, at in Minnesota. Um, but definitely that is the big concern is, is can their offense compete against some of the other defenses in the AFC South? You think you know, the Colts had one of the better uh, run defenses from week six to the end of the season. I don't think they allowed a 100-yard rusher all year. Uh, you got the Houston Texans, and they've got Jadavian Clowney, J.J. Watt, you know, a great front seven. The Titans, very talented physical team as well, too. So it's going to be a lot of pressure on Nick Foles. But I do think, I, I do see kind of the Texans and Titans slipping up a little, which I think could give some opportunities for the Jags defense to really, you know, take advantage uh, of, of the opportunities they'll have in front of them. All right, we're going to close things out here with my last pick. Uh, Blake, did you have the Falcons on your list by any chance? Damn, dude, we had the same list. Oh, look at that. Hey, we did not plan this. That's folks. crazy. <laughs> no, we have this. We have the same six teams. That's so weird. I love it. I love it. Well, the Falcons are a team that you know I didn't really want to pick, uh, being a Saints fan, uh, having you know been rooting against them my entire life, but. Uh, you know, I, I think last year the two big problems with the Falcons were the offensive line and injuries from the defense. Now, offensive line was a huge priority for the Falcons this offseason. Their signings necessarily mm-hmm. aren't anything really to get excited about. James Carpenter, a former Jet, four-year deal. Jason Brown uh, coming from the Rams on a three-year deal. Neither of them really jump off the page, but they made two first-round selections. Uh, guard Christopher Lindstrom out of Boston College, number 14, and t- uh, uh, tackle Caleb McGarry out of Washington at number 31, whom they traded up back into the first round to get. Uh, though I think between those four picks, I mean, they're really solidifying that uh, front. Um, you know, the, the, the veterans might not necessarily be the best players out there, but they're going to bring that veteran presence, which is important for two guys coming into the league, being used to having played. I mean, Boston College and Washington are not, you know, you know, they're not Clemson. They're not Alabama. These aren't, they're definitely not the same size as those players. They're not playing against guys, uh, you know, like the Alabamas all the time, uh, where they're used to playing NFL caliber defensive tackles or defensive ends. Um, you know, they're really going to have to make that adjustment. And I think having these veteran guys in there is going to be huge for them. And then on the defense, their two best players, Deion Jones and Keanu Neal, uh, should be back. They were both out last season. Neal, of course, towards ACL. And as you've mentioned, that's a slow recovery. Not sure if we'll get him back at full force. Uh, but they're really, they, they didn't make a whole lot of changes on the defensive side. It's really just hoping that the unit will rebound, getting those guys back, uh, getting a couple other players back. Uh, they were one of the most injured units in the entire NFL last season. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the Buccaneers aren't going to be competing next year. I, I really don't think that uh, they're going to be much of a threat. The Panthers are so up and down. Uh, I'm really not sure what to expect right. of them. Obviously, the Saints are going to be the team. But I think there's, I mean, we had just two years ago, three teams in the NFC South make the playoffs. Um, between the Saints, the Falcons, and the Panthers. Uh, and, you know, I, I think the Falcons have a lot of room uh, to be a wild card team. I don't know if they're necessarily at the, the spot of where the Saints are right now, but I can certainly see the Falcons winning mm-hmm. 10, 11 games next year and, and making a push for a wild card spot. Oh, yeah, I definitely agree. And I think when you have to consider what teams we want to see the biggest upgrades, uh, you take a look at the division. And like you said, I think the Bucks and Panthers are going to have down years. 
And, you know, not to just fully put it out, I think it would be difficult for the Saints to get to another 13-win year. Now, does that mean they're only at 12 or 11? I'm not sure. But I, I think just taking all that into consideration, I think the Falcons have more of an opportunity. Um, and, and like you said, completely healthy team. Dan Quinn is taking back over defensive play calling after he was really frustrated with how the defense performed last year. Um, they're going to have a lot of run responsibilities on themselves, and Matt Ryan is still you know, a top quarterback in this league. It's just it's so funny that we both had the same six teams on this list without even planning it. It's, the only other team I was considering was the Buffalo Bills. They were my other mm-hmm. team that I was like, maybe I could see it, but no, that, that's funny that it worked out that way. Yeah, I, I looked at the Redskins a little bit uh, as another team Me that too. I thought maybe could make a jump, but... I've been kind of low on the Redskins the past couple podcasts. I feel like I couldn't go against my word there. Oh yeah. Um, so we'll see. You know, I I've been talking to a lot of Redskins fans who have been trying to sway me on believing in them. Uh, so we'll <laughs> yeah. see. We'll see where I stand by the time the season starts. But as of right now, I'm still not entirely bought in. So we'll see uh, what the Skins do. And to your point about the Saints, uh, who's the best offense in the NFL right now? All all all, P, every, all the drafts over. Most uh, moves have been made this offseason. I mean, you know, the, 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 we've seen what happened to the Chiefs. Two best studs are now, you know, in disarray. One's gone. One's uh, facing some charges. Who is the best offense in the NFL, and is it even close, Blake? I mean, it's definitely close. I wouldn't say the Saints are far and away the best offense. Um, I guess it comes down to what you're getting out of your two and three receivers next year. And to me, you know, it also comes down to Drew Brees. And, and it's, you know, I, I'm not going to question, you know, father time against anyone, but he is getting to that point in his career. I would say that they're probably still the top eight offense. I think Sean Payton is probably one of the greatest play callers of all time. And I think that plays a huge role into making up for, you know, lack of talent in certain areas. But yeah, I guess I'd have to go with the Saints, but I'm not going to say that the Rams, in my opinion, are that far off. We'll see. I buy into Breeze a yeah, lot more than yeah, I we'll buy see. into Jared Goff, so <laughs> we'll, we'll see about Man, that. At, at this point, at this point, I'm not. We're gonna have to. We're gonna have to figure that one out later on because they're at two very different points in their careers. So, Absolutely. so we'll have to wait on that. We might. We might have to argue a couple months down the road about that one. I'll be ready. I'll but, be ready. Uh, yeah. So just to recap those three teams, I got the San Francisco 49ers, the Green Bay Packers, and the Jacksonville Jaguars. You got the New York Jets, the Cleveland Browns, and the Atlanta Falcons. We both had the same top six teams. Amazing. Um, any, Matt, Matt, a, a big episode for us, a long one at that. We covered uh, three major sports. Anything else you want to put out there before we sign off? Uh, I mean, right now, I think I think we've hit all the big ones. Uh, it's been baseball season's been rough so far, with the Nats being probably the most disappointing team in baseball right now, but. <laughs> uh, it's still been a lot of fun watching like guys like Tatis come up. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. has struggled uh, so far in his debut, but uh, there's a the right. rookie of the year race is going to be a lot of fun uh, in both the National and the American League. Um, and so I'm 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 loving the sports world right now. I can't complain. I'm really getting into the NBA playoffs now. It's been you know Damian Lillard is you know oh my God I, we could dedicate an entire show. Uh, to what kind of player Damian Lillard is. But, um, yeah, I've been – I don't think I have anything else big to say. It's been a lot of fun today. I think uh, going through the shortstops was something I've been wanting to do for a while, so I'm glad we got to that. And I can't believe we picked the same six NFL teams. That's crazy. Yeah, of course. And and I think, you know, just looking forward in in what I've got going on in my sports world, I'm probably going to do a live reaction or a uh, 
maybe a live stream during the NBA draft lottery so everyone can either see me cry tears of joy or tears of sadness. Wizards have the uh, fifth yeah. best odds? Fifth best lottery odds? Wizards? Oh. Uh, if, if the <laughs> Wizards ended up with Zion Williamson, I'd be so frustrated. Uh, but So yeah, uh, there's that. The Yankees are still doing all right without their entire team, so... Yeah, I'm kind of just coasting the sports world right now and just waiting to see what happens with this offseason for the NBA because that will really piece in together everything for me. You know, the Colts had a great season last year after starting off like 1-5. in five. The, the uh, Yankees are starting off strong so far without their team. You think that once they're healthy, they'll be fine. The Knicks are just the big disappointment in my fan base uh, where, you know, my allegiance um, aside. So, you know... Hopefully that can turn around this offseason. But, uh, yeah, I think we're, we'll wrap things up now. Uh, thank you, everybody, to uh, for listening uh, to us. Uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can find me at BlakeAndrewPace. Matt, I am stumbling on what your Twitter handle is. Is it just your name? It's just my name, yep. At Matt Wyrick. Go there you go. Give me a follow. Lots of Nats and baseball tweets. Lots of negative people in my mentions right now just because of how poorly the team's been playing so if you're yeah. uh, a fan of the Nats follow me if you don't like the Nats follow me because we get lots of content to uh, point out how bad they've been so up to you yeah <laughs> so follow Matt follow me thank you guys for listening so much and we will be back hopefully on a regular schedule this upcoming week Monday Wednesday and Friday thanks for tuning in and we'll talk to you later <laughs>